Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so the organizations can thrive. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we're honored we have Rabbi Daniel Lappin for the fifth time. Hey, Ed, how's it going? It's going great. And um, I, at the risk of, of uh, extending my stay in purgatory, uh, I'm going to, to suggest a change to the Hail Mary, which is as follows now. Hail Mary, full of grace. Sirico is now in second place. So the... <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't need an introduction, but let me try and do it anyway. Rabbi Daniel Lappin, known widely as America's rabbi, and to this audience, known widely as my rabbi, uh, is a noted rabbinic scholar and best-selling author and TV host. In 2002, he published the fantastic book, Thou Shall Prosper, The Ten Commandments for Making Money. He followed that up with its sequel, Business Secrets from the Bible, and I'm thrilled to see that that's been translated into different languages. Uh, pairing his inheritance as a descendant of a multi-generational rabbinical family with his background in science and business, he teaches ancient Jewish, Jewish wisdom in an unparalleled manner, and I can vouch for that as a longtime listener. Rabbi Lappin, welcome, welcome back to the Soul of Enterprise. Thank you very much, Ron and Ed, and and thanks for having me back. You know, um, I'm sure you guys know that um, sometimes one does interviews, and I'm sure you do them often. I do a bunch of interviews, and I've got to be honest. I mean, sometimes it is grueling. It is so <laughs> difficult. Um, and, you know, I don't mind doing a show entirely by myself, but to be interviewed by somebody who is just draining the energy out of me and just sucking out the words, the vocabulary, the syntax out of the very oxygen. Um, so it's such a delight and a pleasure to, to be on such a stimulating show as yours. So I thank you for having me back. Uh, it's our pleasure. Well, Rabbi, you, earlier this year, there was a couple weeks when your podcast didn't drop, and I thought, oh, I wonder if he's traveling. Or and then you came back finally and announced that you had COVID and had recovered. And I just wanted to ask you, what did you learn from that? Um, I learned that uh, that the extent to which uh, this whole saga was politicized um, was beyond comprehension. Uh, how little truth we've all been told about it shocked and astounded me. Um, those were two things I learned. I learned that uh, uh, that as far as I could tell, uh, hydrochloroquine and um, ivermectin and zinc uh, were wonderfully effective for me. Um, they they really really made a difference. Uh, I was astounded at how it stripped the energy out of me. I literally could not do anything at all. 
so uh um but you know thank god it, it didn't last long and uh i came out of it with uh with no long lasting or, or no lasting uh problems at all so all is good Oh, good. I, well, I hope you don't get this long COVID that they're talking about. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Thanks. Oh, good, good. Uh, and, and I have to ask you, Rabbi, with what's been happening between Hamas and Israel, and you know the attacks of Jewish people in, in the USA. Um, I, you know, you were talking on one of your shows recently that you're very hesitant to use the term anti-Semitism. And I know this is something you speak about a lot and have even written about, but why? Um, I don't like using undefined terms. So, uh, for instance, while um, uh, politicians in general are, are very guilty of this, uh, right now in the United States, we're hearing more about it than ever before. And that is the phrase which I'm sure you'll recognize, the rich don't pay their fair share. And, and this is a, a scurrilous and evil phrase to use because there is, there is something vile about tarring people in a way that leaves them no capability of defense. For instance, uh, the rich are not paying their fair share. How about telling me what the rich is defined as? Who is rich? The problem with you not defining it is that today it's my neighbor in the big house up the street tomorrow it's going to be me i'm going to be the rich <laughs> and then next week it's going to be my neighbor down the street in the small house so uh, i hate that phrase uh i hate the word fair what does that mean exactly so these are words that have crept into the english language but which do not exist in the Lord's language. They are not found anywhere at all in the Bible. Uh, the word fair is, uh, is an astonishingly duplicitous phrase uh, or word because, again, it's whatever I define it to be. You're not being fair. That means I'm not getting what I want. <laughs> right. But that doesn't necessarily indict you. And so um, I always like pointing out that uh, uh, you know, it, it seems to be little kids come out of the chute um, knowing the phrase, it's not fair. Like, as soon as they can talk, they, can, they whine at you. It's not fair. Uh, like the agent, the angel Gabriel must have taught them the phrase in utero. Um, because, but Israeli kids can't say it's not fair because there is no word for fair in Hebrew. So what do they say? Zelo fair. They use the first two words, it's not and then they resort to the, the English word fair. So the rich don't pay their fair share is a, is a terrible phrase, and anti-Semitism is just like that. Uh, what is anti-Semitism? Uh, 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 an American Jewish organization just last week issued a statement saying we've got to fight with anti-Semitism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. And uh, we're going to define it as um, people who accuse Jews of being disproportionately influ influential. Well, may I apply for chairman of the organization? Because I think Jews are disproportionately influential. There are many, many more Sri Lankans on the planet than there are Jews. 
When was the last time you heard about Sri Lanka? Yeah, no, I, I, this is insanity. Um, by the way, the same thing applies to the word racist. And I know I'm probably leaving myself open uh, for all kinds of horrible consequences for saying this, but it's exactly the same. Define anti-Semitism. What is it? Somebody who hates Jews more than absolutely necessary? Like, what, what, is the, what does it mean? And if it's a thought problem, then I have a very, very strong hostility towards criminalizing thought. Right. It's one of the reasons I loathe and detest the hate crime legislation that came about, I think it was under President Clinton. And the, the problem with it is that the government is deciding that if Tom and Jerry each do the same, they each perpetrate the same crime, we're going to punish Tom with twice as much prison time as Jerry because of what we decide was in his heart and in his head at the time. No, we judge by action, not by what is... Half the time, I don't know what's in my heart. My heart! I certainly don't know what's in yours. And yet we're happy to give the government that power to determine what's in somebody's heart and to punish us accordingly. So what is anti-Semitism exactly? And uh, I don't want to waste the rest of our time together, but uh, I, I happily challenge anybody to supply me with a definition of it. And the same applies to racist. No, no, that's very compelling. Uh, Rabbi, we were going to do a show today on envy until you graciously uh, agreed to come on. And, you know, Michael Novak said that envy was the most destructive force in any free society, more so than hatred. And when you think about the seven deadly sins, it, it, they're called that because they lead to other sins. What does ancient Jewish wisdom teach us about envy? Well, first of all, I loved Michael Novak. Um, what, what a beautiful human being he was, and I, I cherish the times we spent together. Um, I think it's important to distinguish between envy and jealousy. And again, not to, um, not to, uh, to predictably fall back on definitional issues, but uh, there is a difference between envy and jealousy, uh, and certainly in Hebrew. Um, uh, jealousy, to put it very briefly, jealousy is I would love to get what you've got. Envy is I don't want you to have it, I'm going to get it. Right. And so uh, jealousy could be construed as, as really a, a positive force in society. Uh, Winston Churchill wrote very beautifully on advertising, uh, the great advertising genius David Ogilvy quoted him extensively uh, because Churchill said advertising is, is a really good thing in the, uh, in, in the commercial life of a nation. Uh, it tells us what our fellow human beings are uh, doing and creating for our benefit. And so advertising tells us what's available out there, what our fellow citizens are, are, are doing and creating. It's, it's all very, very good. And so uh, jealousy, if you like, is, oh, I, you know, I see that. I'd want one of those. Okay, great. Well, then I need to make more money so I can get one of those or 20 of those. And uh, how do I do that? Well, I find a way to better serve my fellow human beings, God's other children. This is all very positive. So jealousy can be seen as, as something that, uh, that drives us to, to greater achievement which is, is generally a good thing. I mean, we think women are a good thing, and yet 
women drive men to greater achievement. If there were no women in the world, we'd probably all be living in caves and grass huts. <laughs> That's true. Uh, is 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 destructive uh, in in Jewish wisdom envy, as it seems to be in some other religions? Correct. Yeah, en envy is hugely problematic, uh, and it's a characteristic that uh, smart people spend as much energy as it takes to literally extirpate from their from their characters and from their entire beings. So really, it has to be ripped out of your heart. Right, destructive. I, I'm sure you saw, Rabbi, the ProPublica. Uh, you know, disclosure of the IRS tax data from all these rich people. Just yeah, yeah, and yeah. nothing frustrates me more. But uh, you know, when we talk about income inequality, and like you were saying about it, we we fight it as uh, you know from the economic side with all these statistics. But what's the moral and ethical argument? I mean, what is my fair share of what you earn? Yes. Um, so the answer is uh, none, nothing. <laughs> Uh, you have absolutely no rights to my money or my property or my children, by the way. Uh, you have no rights whatsoever. Now, I have an obligation to give 10% away of it uh, to people who have less than me. But that places no rights in your hands to claim that because it is entirely my prerogative um, as to upon whom to bestow my 10%. And right. if I choose to bestow it upon somebody who in his own way um, commits himself to the welfare of the community and is part of the community and has paid his dues to the community, then so be it, as opposed to me bestowing my 10% on uh, a ne'er-do-well. I, you know, I have the right to express my own values uh, by choosing uh, uh, to whom to give my 10% of charity. So, so that's, uh, and, and so nobody has a right to that. Uh, I also um, have an uh, agreement with the system, with a system of government that it will um, uh, operate and, and take care of the public good. And it's remarkable how closely the United States Constitution replicates what uh, ancient Jewish wisdom would have from the Bible as the functions and limitations of government. Uh, and another biblical point, again, this one uh, is that, um, that the extent of taxation that the government should uh, extract from us is a maximum of 20% in, in total. Obviously, now the you know many many ordinary middle class Americans, uh, between state and federal and regulatory expenses and uh, and sales taxes, uh, are paying over fifty percent. So, uh, if if you are in the middle of June of any particular year, you haven't yet started working for yourself. Right. Yeah. No, Tim, <laughs> no, that's a great point. Well, Rabbi, we're up against our first break, and folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. We'll post full show notes at The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see our interview with Rabbi Daniel Lappin and what's coming up in the future. And now a word from our sponsors.
Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. We are back with our first ever five-time guest, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. So thrilled to have him on today. And I'm going to take advantage of the fact that I have a rabbinical scholar on. And you and Ron were having a great conversation about uh, uh, envy and jealousy. And I, I thought as I was preparing for the show, now would be the time to learn something, Ed. So I'd really like for you to go deep with us on the story of Cain and Abel in the Bible. Because I think this is like one of the original, the original examples of envy. Because as a Catholic, I, I'd never read the Bible in Hebrew, so I know there's stuff I'm missing, right? Um, and I one no of the things that, it, and I, one of the things that I never quite understood was what did a, what, what what did Cain do wrong with his offering? It just because well they didn't like it. Well, what? <laughs> so help me there. Yeah, sure. Um, okay. The, uh, look, uh, the, I mean, the, the 30 second overview in general, first of all, is that the Bible is God's uh, instruction manual to mankind. And um, it is not a story, it's not a narrative, it's not a history of long forgotten nations and anachronistic experiences. No, uh, it is a system of um, how to organize human beings, how human beings can live together. And uh, it's applicable to all people at all times, everywhere. Um, it is uh, structured in uh, a, a very strange way, but it makes sense because imagine for just a moment, uh, you, Ed or, or Ron, imagine you were in possession of incredibly valuable information for your children and your grandchildren and one day your great-grandchildren, and as the patriarch of your family, even after you are long gone, 
you want to make sure that uh, your great-grandchildren or even further will be able to access this crucial body of wisdom that you have put down for them. To write in English would be a problem because um, English changes and most uh, today, I was, I was going to say high school graduates, but most college graduates can't even read English of 400 years ago, let alone old English 800 years ago. Uh, languages do change and evolve. Uh, if you put it on video, well, you know how hard it would be to, uh, for anybody to watch a VHS video. Things change, you know. Uh, even today, you put it on a DVD. Trouble is, you know, things are downloaded. Uh, formats change. That How are you going to be sure that your descendants are going to be able to do it? Well, uh, the, the answer is you have to find a language that does not change. And you search the world. And it turns out every language has evolved and changed over hundreds of years, let alone thousands. And then you discover... Hebrew, the Lord's language, a little street urchin playing soccer in Tel Aviv can read the words of the prophet Jeremiah. The language hasn't changed. So you're, okay, fine. It's got to be in Hebrew. And then how do you do it? Because this has to be, this has to make sense to that little street urchin. It's got to make sense to a five-year-old because it's too late to start teaching it to an adult. You want your descendants to be able to absorb your words even when they're little, even if they don't get the full intent. So it's got to be depicted in a way that is comprehensible to a child, but is profoundly revelatory to a graduate student. And so it's told in the form of stories and a narrative as opposed to a set of instructions. And, um, and so the Cain and Abel story are, is part of this exactly. And in a nutshell, um, there was some nutshell already. It was sort of more like a, an ostrich eggshell. Um, what's happening there is that um, it, it's all highlighted in that strange phrase that, uh, with which a verse ends and Cain said to Abel in the field. He said something to him. The verse doesn't tell us what. What did he say to him? And ancient Jewish wisdom says, uh, it says, he said to him something that's very obvious. These are two sons. Adam is getting old. And the, Cain said to Abel, hey, um, dad's getting old. And I've been thinking about succession plans. He hasn't said anything. And so the, as the oldest son, I'm going to take the earth and you may live wherever you like. You only have to pay me rent. And Abel responded and said, no, uh, it's not going to be that way. We're actually going to divide up the world. And what's more, I'm keeping British Columbia. Okay. That, that part I just put in myself. Okay. <laughs> but, um, and, uh, and one of the things you have to know is, um, Ed, every name in the Bible has meaning, right? There, there are no names like Fred or Agatha. Every name actually means something. And the name Cain in Hebrew means acquisition. I got. It's mine. I have to get. The entire essence of Cain's personality is to acquire and get things. Obviously, if somebody is now taking away half the world from you, 
because that's what he claimed the whole thing. Abel says, no, I'm keeping half. There's only one thing to do. You have to kill him, obviously. For half the world. I mean, if your name is Cain, that's what you do. And that is why it is that um, the God's response is a perfect quid pro quo. The response is, and there's two punishments. People don't know. One of them is you're going to be a wanderer. And the other is that um, nothing you plant will grow. Well, when you think about it, there's only two things to do with real estate. Develop it or agriculture. What else can you do with it? And if you're going to keep moving, well, you can't develop it. You'll never be in any place long enough to put up a building and collect rent. And if you can't grow stuff, well, there's no way to do agriculture. So God is essentially saying to Cain, hey, uh, here's the quid pro quo, punishment for the crime. You thought your wealth was represented by vast holdings of real estate. Well, guess what? You're not going to be able to do anything with it. And um, Cain now has the job of showing that he understands that God's message was your wealth is not your holdings and your acquisitions. Your wealth is your relationships with other people. And so the very next thing Cain does in order to demonstrate his atonement is he uh, has a baby. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us with whom or who, uh, you know, doesn't even tell us who he married or who catered the affair. Nothing, because it's all irrelevant. The only thing that matters is uh, our wealth is our relationships. And uh, it is relationships that produce wealth. Never fall into the trap of thinking wealth produces relationships. It doesn't. That's why we all know not to do business with our friends, but to make friends of those with whom we do business. And so, uh, again, I, I don't want to sort of over overdo this beyond what I've already done. There, there's a whole lot more, obviously. But the entire Cain and Abel story uh, is this early introduction to mankind that uh, acquisition is not the key of life. Um, relationships are. And, and it's really it's also the first offering, right? That 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 takes place there, right? And the, the offering is, in in a sense, it's um, the the notion that I can I can put off today and benefit in some way tomorrow. And yes. it's in a way, it's almost the invention of time, isn't it? it? It is. And by the way, one of the very best long form explanations of the whole Cain and Abel story was written by John Steinbeck in a book called East of Eden. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, it's it's really rather remarkable. And uh, uh, Steinbeck actually presented the manuscript to his publisher in a wooden box he'd carved himself with a Hebrew word on the cover, which is the key to the whole story. And you can actually, this is in the Selina Steinbeck Museum, so you can actually Google the, the manuscript box carved by Steinbeck, and you'll see a Hebrew word, on big Hebrew word on the cover, that's the key to the whole story. So East of Eden, very, very good explanation of that section of the Bible. Great movie with James Dean, too. We have um, just about 90 seconds before our break, and I want to ask you something. As I reread the story of Cain and Abel today, I came across this. Uh, Tubal Cain, which is one of the descendants of Cain, if, if I'm saying that correctly. I would. Yeah, very good, yes. Okay. He is the fashioner of, of bronze and iron, Weapons. So he was. So from from Cain descended the the creation of weapons. Is that yes, correct? The entire German Krupp family 
uh, is spiritually descended from Tubal-Thayim. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, all right. I just all, it, all found, found those... Fundamental, right? Because uh, yeah. from time immemorial, people have created weapons, and we always will. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Well, thanks. I, I really wanted to, to take that to the essence of it, maybe get some insight, which I certainly did on Envy. But right now we're up against our break. want to remind those of you to contact Ron and me by sending that email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website, as we've mentioned previously, is the Soul of Enterprise, where you can get show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. We have a Patreon page now, patreon.com slash TSOE, where you can listen to our shows without commercial interruption, as well as our bonus episodes. That Patreon channel is sponsored by 90minds at 90minds.com. Need a mind? Find one at 90minds.com. Now, a word from our sponsor. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with my rabbi, Daniel Lapp. And, and rabbi, you were talking to Ed about names and how there's no Fred and Sally in, in the Bible. And I want to ask you about the firstborn Jew that you had mentioned on your show being named Isaac and how in Hebrew that means laughter. Yeah. And what the significance of that is. Sure. Um, well, <clears throat> you know how a homeschooling family changes the light bulb. No, <laughs> um, they they do a unit on electricity, then they do a unit on Thomas Edison, and then after that they go on a field trip to a power station, and uh, and then eventually uh, after several projects on filaments and glass they change the light bulb. Um, do you know how a feminist changes the light bulb? No, stop it. That's not funny. <laughs> And what that's to highlight is that um, 
leftism lacks humor. It's just, it's a reality. Uh, one of the things that was well known, particularly by Jewish uh, refuseniks during the Soviet era, is that uh, uh, the USSR was completely without humor. There was nothing, you know, there was no laughter. Uh, if you laughed in the street, it was even dangerous because the worry was you were laughing at the, at the government. Um, and so a whole uh, series of sort of underground jokes emerged from the Jewish protesters. But there's a very good reason why the left has no uh, sense of humor. And that is because the left is driven uh, primarily by a fervor for revolution, for change, for whatever is true uh, for this generation must be undone for the next. Uh, one of my favorite questions to ask people, uh, left-wing interviewers is, tell me what America would look like for you to become a conservative. At what point do you sit back and say, my work here is done and I now want to keep it the way? The answer is never, because lying at the heart of the left is the uh, uh, irrepressible fervor for revolution and change. So in a world where nothing is fixed, there can be no humor, because humor is at its source a violation of that which is, and that's what makes it funny. And so when a, when a vagrant, homeless beggar slips on a banana peel, it's tragic. But when a pompous politician slips on a banana peel and falls on his rear, it's hilarious. Because that is a violation of the dignified posture he usually maintains. Um, Gary Larson's brilliant cartoons about talking animals are only funny in a world where we accept that only human beings can talk. But the humor drops away if it turns out all creatures talk, and so on and so forth. So um, the, the categories of humor, sexual, bathroom, whatever category of humor you look at, uh, it's always a violation of that which we know to actually be true. Uh, the ultimate knowable reality is uh, the existence of God and the significance of the Bible. That is, I mean, essentially... Uh, what almost every major conflict in, in the world today, whether it's the revolution going on in the United States or whether it was the whole Brexit fight in the United Kingdom, it's, it's essentially a fight between internationalism and nationalism. It's between a, a godly view of, the, uh, of reality. Uh, again, chapter 11 of Genesis, the story of Babel. Um, God said, I don't want everybody to be one nation. I don't want everyone speaking one language. Are one separate nations. Uh, in other words, it's not a, a, a one-nation world. And so uh, uh, the, these, these things all help us to, 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 to pull together uh, the, 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 the concept. And I just, I, sorry, I just lost my train of thought there for just a moment. Um, no, that's fine. I mean, that was a great explanation. Uh, I, I, I I remember John Cleese of Monty Python saying that all humor is critical. Yes, and, that's right. And that's so true. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And blonde jokes are funny because the, the notion that, you know, a whole group of people characterized by the color of their hair have low intelligence, you know, is, is just laughable. Well, it is laughable. And so Isaac, the firstborn Jew, stood for the ultimate knowable reality, which is a, a connection with God. And, and that's really why uh, humor and religion go so closely together and why it is that uh, for so many years, Jews 
who had lost their connection with God uh, found a connection to him through humor. And that's just why um, Jewish comedians just became the order of the day. It's what happened to Samson at the end of his life. He became an entertainer. And uh, connecting with people, there are several very profound ways of connecting with people. You can connect with a woman sexually. It's very, very profound and life-changing. Uh, you can connect with somebody through doing business with them and have you both leaving the transaction richer and happier than you were before. Uh, you can connect with somebody by um, uh, connecting them through music. You can connect with somebody through God. And uh, you can connect through somebody by teaching. One of the reasons people teach, it's not because of the, the money, but the, the thrill of imparting wisdom to another human being is huge. And finally, telling a joke feels good. Right. <laughs> oh, that's it's a great. way of connecting with people very deeply. So, yeah, uh, Jews used to dominate the, the comedy world. Well, Rabbi, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change subjects on you, subjects on you again. Uh, you've taught me that anything random can't happen just once. Oh, yes. And this is why Darwinists must find life on other planets. Otherwise, life on Earth is not just random. Uh, I have to ask you, because I know you have a Ron, science... you make me feel very humble. Uh, well, you're a great teacher. I, I know you have a science background, and I know you were a pilot. Yes. And I have tremendous respect for pilots. They're not kooks. They really tend to be very smart, practical people. Rabbi, tell me about these videos of these UFOs. What's your take? Ah. Uh, <laughs> um, well... Uh, Look, um, one has to understand something about conspiracies. Conspiracies do not necessarily have to be conscious. So uh, if I figure out how long it's going to take me to get to the dentist appointment, and I jump in the car, and on the freeway, there's suddenly a slowdown, and I'm, I'm delayed by 15 minutes as, as the traffic crawls, and eventually I discover what caused the slowdown. It was nothing on my lane. It was on the oncoming side, the other side of the freeway, there was a bloody accident and everybody slowed down in the hope of catching sight of some blood. Now, it's a mistake to assume that thousands of people met in a dark cellar last night to figure out how to make Rabbi Lappin late for his appointment. But nonetheless, their behavior could not have been more similar to what it would have been had they decided that in a dark cellar. So there was no conspiracy per se, but you can count on human beings uh, behaving predictably in, in certain ways. And, uh, uh, you know, slowing down to look at an accident, yeah, that's human nature, we get it. Uh, it's gonna happen, doesn't mean people agreed. And similarly, uh, this, uh, this tremendous concern with life in outer space doesn't affect me at all, doesn't bother me, I don't care if there is or if there isn't. There is no existential impact on my life. There is no spiritual impact. I couldn't care less. But as you, as you correctly said, um, for, uh, for people who believe that human beings are on this planet because of a lengthy process of unaided materialistic evolution that converted uh, primitive protoplasm um, into uh, plumbers and proctologists, then clearly the life, life in outer space has to be a reality. And so the tendency to believe that anything out of the ordinary, anything seen 
uh, is some kind of unidentified flying object from another planet. Very, very strong tendency of people to believe that. I don't believe that, uh, but I do accept the possibility that the government has decided not to share certain things with the population. Um, I think they decided not to share things about the origin of COVID, uh, you know, just most recently. So that there may well be certain things happening which uh, have not been publicized and are, are, are veiled behind a curtain of national security. I have, it's quite possible. Uh, and so I, I'm sorry, I do not have much of a sensationalist take on those things, nice. whatever they are. Um, I think it's, you know, smart people and experienced people like airline people experienced with, with what the world looks like from 30 or 40,000 feet. Uh, so they probably did see something. What it is, I don't know, but I don't believe. You know, 99.9% .9 certainty it's not from outer space. space. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. And Rabbi, you did a show uh, recently on Taiwan and, you know, through Father Sirico and others, we've been following Jimmy Lai and his travails in Hong Kong. Yes. Um, yes. How do you see it unfolding? And and by the way, we recently had on Charles Cook from National Review, and he's a big Second Amendment, even though he's from Britain. Uh, and he thinks we should maybe provide the Taiwanese citizens with guns. And what's your take on all that? Well, uh, it's, um, it's, it's gloomy, and I, I'd hate to finish on a gloomy note, but, uh, but, but here's, here's what it is. Look, um, I'm not saying it's the end of America. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that, uh, like most civilizations, um, the civilizations tend to run through a period of about 250 years. Um, and uh, an argument can persuasively be made that, for instance, the British Empire ended about 1950 after World War II. Um, well, we're at 245 years. So uh, whether it's the, the Russian Empire, the French, or the, uh, I mean, wherever you go. And there's a reason for that as well. There's a biblical reason in the sense that the genealogies of uh, of Genesis are given in the 10 generations from Adam to Noah, and astonishingly, another 10 generations from Noah to Abraham. The concept being that an epoch seems to run about 10 generations. Why is it measured in generations and not years? Because it's parent to child. Um, every child starts off their perspective on the moral and behavioral landscape where their parents left off. So if you watch the development of, shall we say, uh, premarital sex uh, from when it was a, you know, a shocking and, and rare thing in the 1940s and, and into the 50s, and then came the 60s, et cetera, et cetera. And, and today it's, it's not even thought about. In fact, it, nothing is made of it. There's an evolution there from generation to generation. And so it is that uh, everybody recognizes that cultures move, you know, from tribes and eventually groups of people, and eventually they develop uh, success and growth, and eventually affluence, and eventually the very advantages that this growing civilization creates turn out to be the very fact that undermines the moral and the disciplinary strength that built the civilization in the first place. It seems to run about 10 generations. I'm saying that because uh, the answer to your question about Taiwan 
uh, depends entirely on um, how you answer the question of to what extent is America willing and capable of defying China? And the answer is probably not much on both those scores. Um, you know, we're still spending a lot of money building aircraft carriers, for instance. Now, you know, warfare involves obviously economic issues. There's a reason that Biafra doesn't have an, uh, an aircraft carrier, but China is, is building some of them. But the problem is that a, um, a multi-billion dollar aircraft carrier today can be taken out by a less than $1 million missile. We saw this in the Falkland War. And today, this missile can be over, launched from over the horizon and take out a huge asset like an aircraft carrier. Uh, so I don't think we're capable of taking on China, but much more seriously, I don't think we have the will to do it. And that means that China understands the, uh, the significance of power versus paper. Um, President Biden bleats childishly about the international community and consequences. And uh, I think the Chinese laugh so hard they can't keep their lunch down. It's, it's, uh, it's ridiculous because, it, it, you know, it's like a kindergarten child waving a defiant fist um, at, uh, at, you know, at a military detachment walking nearby. So, um, and so, yeah, I don't think... Uh, I don't think we are. We I don't think we've got our own military up to what would be needed for fighting strength by its own claims. I believe that leadership in the military has been almost fatally compromised in terms of wokeness and political correctness. Uh, you all saw that hilarious contrast between recruiting ads in Russia and recruiting ads in America. It <laughs> says it all, you know. So uh, I I think China is. I, I think Taiwan is totally a lost cause and. Uh, um, I, you know, frankly, I can't see that we have the ability to supply them with weapons, and certainly not in the in the number needed. So, yeah, what are you going to do? Postpone the invasion of of Taiwan by three hours with whatever you want to send them? It's ridiculous. Uh, but more importantly, um, under the present administration, uh, there is no willpower to defy China in real terms. The only terms that. Um, you know, and, and I think um, Putin is one of the finest statesmen in Europe. I'm not saying that he's the mother Teresa of humanity, but I'm saying as a statesman, he's one of the few people who knows how the world really works. Really works. So, yeah, Taiwan. Yeah. And by the way, I, I don't think we're going to see bombs falling on Taipei. It's not going to happen like that. Right, right. Um, I think there may be a momentary glitch in the supply of semiconductors from Taiwan Semiconductor Corporation, nice. but by and large, life will continue just as it will in Hong Kong. Right, right. No, unfortunately, I think you're right, Rabbi. Well, this is great. We're up against our next break, and folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. And now, a word from Sage and other sponsors. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. 
These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing Hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! are tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise we are back with rabbi daniel lappin and rabbi um i'm going to take you back out of the present day and we're going to go back to <laughs> some scripture stuff because um, I, I want to take advantage of this wonderful time with you. And I want to read you a, a story of, from another rabbi and get your reaction to it. Someone in the crowd said to him, Rabbi, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. The rabbi said, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? And he said, that, said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. So what are your thoughts on that that story? Sounds pretty good. I don't recognize <laughs> it, but it sounds pretty good. Yeah. And now the, the, rabbi, the rabbi is Jesus, so... but you're going to make... <laughs> He's the only other rabbi I know, so... <laughs> but... Um, uh, are, I mean, I, I don't know the New Testament. Obviously, no, no, I understand I made, that. I think I've made that quite clear. You have. You have. Um, and... Uh, uh, but what I do know is that... Um, there are two uh, basic, uh, very, very important human appetites that God built into us, uh, which are discussed extensively in the Old Testament. And as far as I know, not a whole lot in the New. Uh. And that is sex and money. Hmm. Okay. And, um, it, and the reason is because it goes back to chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 17, where God said it's not good for man to be alone. Now, um, people understandably make a mistake assuming that that is a pronouncement of God's dissatisfaction with Adam's premarital status. So not good for man to be alone. But it wasn't about Adam. It was partially about Adam, but it's about everybody. It's not good for human beings to be alone and disconnected. One of the tragedies of the homeless uh, crisis in America's large cities uh, is essentially a crisis of loneliness and isolation, either because of um, substance abuse or because of me other mental problems. But um, to, be to be disconnected from other people is not only painful and tragic, but it's also very destructive. Uh, 
In other words, if you think about, if you had the choice to live in a community of people who have nothing left to lose, as the uh, Bobby McGee song used to go, uh, or to live in a community of people with a great deal to lose, who would you choose to live among? I mean, do you have any idea of how dangerous it is to live among people with nothing to lose? Yeah. Yep. I, I want to live among <clears throat> people who have a lot to lose, and that's called connectedness. And so yep. uh, whether it's reputation or love and affection or, in fact, even money, because what it boils down to, and um, uh, we saw this in the tipping point by um, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, the the characteristic that most distinguishes people who are financially successful is the number of friends they have. Yeah. And so essentially, God says, I'm giving you two wonderful, I, I've told you, I don't want you to be alone. I want you to connect with other people. Um, I'm giving you two great benefits. If you connect with other people by building a family, and, and really family is just a euphemism for sex, right? Because the whole reason you can get together with cousins and uncles and aunts on Thanksgiving is because years and years and years ago, grandpa and grandma caught one another's eyes and later found ecstasy in one another's arms. And here we all are. That's how it happened. And so God says, I, either, I want you to connect through sex and thereby creating family. And I want you to connect economically. I want you to find ways of serving other people. And it shouldn't surprise you that a good and loving God rewards uh, those of us who, uh, who follow that, uh, that requirement, number one, with the greatest sensual pleasure available to human beings, and number two, with the incredible blessing of financial abundance. Well, I think you've done an excellent job of explaining that parable, and even with, it, with your, your lack of knowledge of the New Testament, in that it's really about, hey, you know, work on your relationship before you worry about the division of this inheritance thing. Connect, connect back with your brother first. Uh, Rabbi, we only have about a minute left, um, and here, here's the impossible question in a minute. <laughs> but in, in a world where there is envy and jealousy, what's, what's the best thing for us as individuals to do? Stop it. Stop it. That's all. It's like, it's like, um, spending a lot of time of your life watching videos and, uh, and, and movies. Just stop doing it and recover part of your life. Uh, you eating too much? Stop it. Don't call it a sickness. Don't, you don't need experts. You don't need medical people. Just stop doing it. That's all. And the way to do that is to build on small triumphs. You build up willpower uh, by uh, small accomplishments and then increasing after that. Uh, envy is just like that. The appeal of envy is is huge. It's and, an incredibly uh, seductive sentiment. And, and I love that the fact that that you said build on small accomplishments and and also and I think Father Sirico would join me in, in saying this. Recognize the humility of when when you when you find out what that small accomplishment is to realize yes that's just it that's all that's be humble in yeah, yeah. that's all you're capable of. So do it and make it happen. You know, the, the great secret of success in life is doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. Absolutely. Well, Rabbi, thank you so much for being on the Soul of Enterprise again. This was a fantastic visit as usual. Ron, what do we got coming up next week? Next week, Ed, we have Mark Wickersham. So a lot of, a lot of our listeners have been asking for him. So we got him on.
Excellent. Well, I'll see you in 167 hours. Transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week, folks, Friday at noon. In the meantime, feel free to check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com. We'll post full show notes with our interview with Rabbi Lappin, who you can find at youneedarabbi.com. Uh, you should subscribe to his Thought Tools, which is his weekly newsletter, which is fantastic, and listen to his podcast. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.